It's summer. Why not? Uh, we thought we'd get a little more upbeat for summer, end out August well before we have to head in back to that thing with the S in front of it. Uh, this is good. It's good to be together. Um, we have just finished up the life of David together. And uh, we are heading into a new series here called Everyday Christianity. Uh, this will take us probably about five weeks or so, and then we jump into life of Jesus after that as we head back into the fall. But I thought it'd be good um, just over a couple weeks to kind of really get practical with our faith, uh, to really dive into what does it mean to be a Christian in every day, uh, not just what we put on on a Sunday morning, but how we actually function in the day-to-day life. And so you'll hear more about the series in a little bit. But I think you all know um, and are aware that we live in a culture where the statistics are saying around 85 million Americans, uh, people who have, of those 85 million people, they say those 85 million have no intention or desire of attending a church service at some point in their life. Um, You and I live in a smaller culture where people do not like change in a, in a small town. They resist new relationships, and, and sometimes in small towns. Uh, and, and sometimes in small towns, we've talked about this before, people just want to be left alone. That's why I bought land, you know? You know, I didn't, but I'm just saying. Uh, that's why some people buy land, you know, just because they're like, I just want my space. Like, I just, I don't want to be right next to a neighbor. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it's part of the culture where we live in. Um, and, and part of that, is that you and I also live in a smaller culture that says what I believe to be fair for me should be accommodated by everybody that I come in contact with. And if you do not accommodate my idea of fairness, you will pay for it. I will inflict my idea of fair and just upon your idea of of fair and thus unfair treatment. To give you an example of this, I was um, getting my tires looked at for the car a little while ago. And uh, I went into the shop, and as I'm waiting, the, one of the employees, a worker there, was explaining to a friend that he was leaving the company, uh, and that he had mentioned he was leaving the company to a coworker. And uh, as they were having a discussion about leaving the company, uh, what started off as kind of just this, you know, casual conversation, even among the two that were in the room, I don't know how the exact conversation went with the coworker, but with the two in the room that he was sharing the story with, the conversation started just normal and natural, and I'm leaving, I'm finding a better opportunity somewhere else, and I'm bringing in a lot of sales to this, this business, and so therefore I can take that to the other place. Well, somewhere along the way, the coworker didn't like the fact that he felt like he was bragging about uh, that he was going to get more customers to come in, and it started a disagreement. And what started as a disagreement, as I'm listening to this thing out of the corner of my ear, just trying to be on my phone like, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Because as I was listening, it got louder and louder and louder and louder. And the guy's like, by the end of the conversation was not just full-blown disagreement with this employee about how the conversation went. I think it was even over like texting. It wasn't even like a face-to-face conversation. By the end, he said, and I told him that if he has a problem with me, and if he doesn't think I can bring in the kind of revenue that I think is going to bring in the revenue for this company, then he could meet me at my house at midnight, and we'll talk about it in my front yard. And I knew he was not going to show his colorful language place in my yard for me to meet him because he knew that I, and I was like, oh, my word. 
Like, and I was part of this witnessing the show because it was, it was amazing. It started off just kind of a small disagreement, but as the unfairness built and built and built, it was kind of this thing that ended with the conclusion of, because he disagrees with me, therefore he will end up in my front yard and we will beat the crap out of each other because we disagree. And I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing to watch. Like, rationality has gone out the window. And I think for many of us, we've seen it in our small town. Like, there's just a lot of anger. Like, if you don't treat me the right way, I don't have to deal with you. And, and if I don't want to deal with you, I'll blow up at you. And if that doesn't work, I'll talk about you on social media. And if that doesn't work, you can settle this right here in my front yard. Let's go. And I'm like, you have a wedding ring? And I'm, you've talked about having kids? Like, how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, hold on, daddy's got to go outside and deal with something. You know what I mean? Like, how does that even... I don't know, but the idea of unfairness was just brought to my mind crystal clear. And I I think it's everywhere, but specifically, I I feel like there's a lot of that conversation here in this community of just, I will not be treated unfairly. You will not treat me unfairly. And if there's any unfairness, you're going to pay for it. And that's kind kind of part of culture. We live in a culture that is, is that we also live in a culture that is anti, not, I don't think they're anti-God, but they're anti-truth, right? So they're way too nice to say they're not into God. Hey, do you want to go to church? Sure, I'll be in church, yeah. But they're not really into the thing of the idea of full-blown Jesus is God, full truth. You and I also live in a culture where the truth of Jesus Christ on a, on a certain day can, can change often. We also live in a culture where any truth on a certain day can change three times in an afternoon. We live in a culture that does not believe or value what we do as the disciples of Jesus. And with all this around us, we're told in the Bible uh, by the Apostle Paul in Romans, in Romans 12, 2. We're going to be at a couple different places today. But in Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. We're given a warning by Paul, right? As we live out everyday Christianity, the first thing he says is, Do not be conformed to this world. We're given a warning. We're not to behave according to the social acceptable conventions or standards of our neighbors and our our world. We're given a warning that we're not to comply with the same standards as those who do not follow Christ. We're given the warning we're not to agree or be similar in form or type or possibly even agree with the culture that we're in. Using this definition from the word conform, it tells us we are to be different, set apart from this world. That's one camp. In everyday Christianity, you also, though, have another camp, right? There's some that would champion this and be like, amen, brother. That's what I'm telling them. I told them I'm not supposed to be in this world. And if they have sin, I'm just going to, you know, and it's just this like, that, that's, that's kind of like one camp. You know, we're not to be conformed. We're not to be in it. The other camp that if we follow too far into that realm, if we just say we're not to be conformed, My fear is if you go down that road long enough, you start to get into another camp, and that's the camp of legalism, one that says we can't be in the world. We can't go near the world. We can't touch the world. We, we, can't, we can't be in debates with the world. We can't value certain things, right? And we, and we just, you know, set ourselves apart and we don't ever come near the world. One that says that we will not allow our families, our friends, or things we purchase to be of the world. And, and, and this was something that started innocently enough, I believe, back in the 70s with beginning with Larry Norman. I don't know if you know the artist, but it started this Christian music movement out of the 70s. And then came the wonderful, beautiful hair bands of the 80s. And then from the 80s came beautiful hair bands of Christian hair bands, right? And then they got in trouble because they wore leotards. 
cards. And then you got, you know, you were part of the church back then. You heard that, you know, those bands were not right because they're wearing leotards and big hair, which there's probably some truth to that. But, but ultimately, it became this Christian market, right? That started to become this Christian music industry. And the industry then started to kind of morph into its own thing. And then came Christian movies, which... Uh, some are, some are okay. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, then came this whole world of Christian movie. And what's a Christian movie? And what's not a Christian movie? And did you see this movie because it's the ultimate Christian movie or this one is not? And, and then we have to kind of range, you know, can a Christian movie be a certain rating or not a certain rating? And the world just kind of explodes because what if I don't agree on the rating? You, you know the world. Like, you just get into this market of Christian, Christian, Christian. You, you, you start to get into the bubble of Christian movies and Christian, nothing wrong with them, but Christian healthcare. Christian version of Netflix, you know, it goes all through the gamut, right? And we can almost go into this world where we just don't want to be any part of the world. We're going to create this bubble around us. And and if we stay here and we just buckle down until Jesus comes, we'll be fine. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says, buckle down, be fine, and then wait until Jesus comes back. That's never part of this. Because we live in a dichotomy that Jesus himself set out for us who call ourselves Christian. Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but before he left the earth, he prayed for you. He prayed for me. And before he left, he, he said, I want to I give you some instructions. Knowing that we would follow him at this unique time in history, knowing that in 2019, he knew all the stories and all the scenarios and all the shootings and all the, and all the massive craziness in politics and all the things that are around us in our world that we live in day in and day out and that crazy neighbor that you're next to and you are the crazy neighbor or, or whatever it is, like he knows where you are and he says, I want you to know that even though you feel like you live in a unique time in history, you don't. And my mandate is the same. He knows the kind of job you have, the kind of family you have, the income level you have, the degrees that you want, all the outside influences that are on you. And he prayed for you in John 17. And here's what he prays in John 17. It'll be on the screens. We're going to be jumping around, like I said, from John to Romans, a couple other places. But this morning in John 17, he's speaking to his disciples in the context here. And so we can obviously say, yes, it applied to the disciples. But we can also say as disciples of Jesus Christ today, we also can benefit from this. And he says, I have given them your word, talking about the disciples. And I would say we could say that to ourselves today. He has given us Christians his word, the Bible, the, 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 the very word of God. Now, I, I, you can debate whether this is actually the, word, the, the Bible here. I don't think he actually said, here's the Bible, because it wasn't written then. But he did say, I've given you the authoritative voice of God. I've given you the word of God. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And just as I am not of the world. And here's his thing. I love this. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He says, I don't want them to run away from culture and context. I don't want them to just get stuck in this little bubble. I want them to be in the world they live in. As he said, in the context, he's talking about the disciples, but we can apply it to being his disciples now. He says, I don't want you to run away from everyday life. I want you to live out Christianity in your everyday life. I want you to stay engaged in culture. I want you to figure out the messy job of following Jesus in the day-to-day moments of life. The day-to-day moments of life where we may not agree as Christians. We may not even agree in this room. When we were in um, Mexico, this was fun, uh, we were at the site and uh, John Reeser, who is head of the organization, stops by the site 
well, he was already there, but he stops by the tent where we're all sitting, and he comes and sits down, and he just sits down on this, be- on this cooler, and he goes, so that Donald Trump, huh? And I went, oh, no. And I knew who was around, and I knew everybody's opinions that were around, and I just knew this was not, I, I mean, he walked into landmines. I mean, the guy just did not help himself, and it started to kind of go squirrely a bunch of different ways, and it was really good, though. It was really good for those who are part of the conversation. I'm not picking on you. It was really good. It was really good because there was honest discussion debate, and like two that just did not agree or see to eye to eye, and it started to get a little more intense, start a little more, you know, this or that on this issue and that issue. And, uh, and I look over and, and he goes, he just stands up and he goes, well, back to work. <laughs> and just walked away. I'm like, you coward. You just walked away. But it was so good because even in this church, like we have things that if we're going to talk, we're going to disagree. We're going to be like, I don't understand you at all. How can you believe that and still know Jesus? And we're going to disagree on all these things. But the one thing that I think we can agree on is that we're supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be making a difference in the world and changing the culture in which we live. And that's the question is, how do we live lives that are not conformed to this world and yet are in the world? More specifically, how does Community Bible Church live in our towns and live in our everyday lives as Christian? In the moments like the tire shop, in the moments like one in Mexico, in the failing, in the, in, and even in the... Um, failing desire of people to come to church in a culture that resists change and wants to be left alone, how do we live out Christianity? And here's, here's going to be the rub this morning. I'm not going to answer all of it this morning. More, this morning is more of just a launching point. And so I'm not going to give you a here's how to this morning. There's not going to be a lot of application, but it's just going to be kind of some things to think about as we launch into this series. Because into this series, we're going to look at uh, biblical literacy. Like we live in a time where biblical illiteracy is at a highest rate. I think it's maybe not highest rate, but it's at a very high rate. Not many people know what's actually in the Bible. Even in church world, a lot of people don't know what's in their Bible. And so we need to combat and understand that thing. So we're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to talk about hearing God's voice and how do I make decisions? And we're going to talk about that in an everyday life because a lot of us face many decisions in a given week and we're going to figure out how do I do that in a Christian way. We're going to have a fun week um, and it's not really titled yet, but it's going to be on the idea of the blurred line between what's offensive and what's sinful. And just because it's offensive doesn't mean it's sinful. And I think we like to sometimes say, well, that's sinful. No, you were just offended and got your feelings hurt. So too bad for you. Um, And so we're going to talk about what does that mean and how does that work? Because we live in a culture that gets so offended by everything. And then they start going off on guys in their tire shop and like, we're going to sell it in my front yard. Okay. That's, that's, that's the kind of culture we live in. We're going to talk about that one week. And then last but not least, before we enter back into school, we're going to talk about how do we keep rhythms in our Christian everyday lock? How do we keep healthy rhythms, not balance, but how do we keep healthy rhythms as we start back into school and things like that? So this week, I want to just look at uh, wondrous passages with you as we, as we talk about this subject. And we're, again, we're not going to give you a bunch of how-tos. I just want to kind of get the, the juices flowing as far as how you're thinking this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's go specifically over to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we started there, but um, let's go there specifically so you can see the context of it as well. But Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. We just talked about that, right? right? We, we talk about not being part of that. But then he also adds this other caveat, but be transformed Okay, so we're not to be like the world. Instead, 
we are to make a thorough and dramatic change and be different than the world. We're to be transformed into something new. Okay? So we're not to be conformed. We're supposed to be something transformed into something new. The question is, how? Right? How do I specifically be transformed? That's great, Joel. Uh, I want to be transformed. How does that actually happen? And here's one thing I want to give you before I specifically answer how. And this statement may actually even answer some of that. But you have to know this in regards to this context. Here's the number one thing I want you to remember from this. There can be no transformation in our actions if there is not first transformation in our person. And I know that sounds very, very general. But I'm telling you, we cannot be transformed in our actions truly unless we are transformed in our person. We can make all the good Christian choices that we want. We cannot watch certain movies. We can, we can befriend certain neighbors. We can do all the right things, but we can do them for all the wrong reasons. If Christ isn't in me, my actions are meaningless. Christ tells us this again and again and again. He says, if you are not changed, if Christ is not in you, your actions are useless. They don't mean anything. In one parable, he says they're burned up and there's nothing left to show for them. I think in our culture, we've gotten this backward and we say, well, as long as I'm a nice person, it doesn't matter what's on the inside as long as I'm doing the right stuff on the outside. Here's the problem I know about you and I know about me. We can fake it really well. We can be all Christian-y and nice because that's what we're supposed to be. But the reality is if Christ is not in us, then our actions don't matter. If the transformation in our actions, there can't be any real transformation of action if there's not transformation in our person. Let me say it another way. Being a Christian is not just a better version of your jacked up neighbor, okay? <laughs> well, I'm better than so-and-so. Well, I don't go out and, well, at least I'm not like, well, at least I, at least I read my Bible more than, at least I'm better than, And we played the comparison game, which, by the way, side freebie, there's never any win in comparison. Ever. Ever. (laughs) Well, so-and-so is just as really... Anyway, um, so he says being a Christian is not just that. It's a change. We're not just a better version of our neighbor. We're not just a better version of our unsaved self. Let me just say that. We're not just better than we were yesterday. We are changed. Does that make sense? You're not just, I got up today and I had a good day. The hair was on point, you know, makeup was good. The kids were listening for once today. It was a good day. I nailed it today. I was Jesus today and it was awesome because all my actions dictated that I was better than my day I was yesterday. The Bible says it's not about that. It's about the fact that you've been transformed. Being an everyday Christian begins with who and not what. It begins with the person and not in action. I'm going to back this up, I believe, through scriptures this morning. Romans 12, 1. Going back a verse in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual act of worship. Here's, here's the reality. He's, he's, he's likening our salvation to the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Here's a question for you. How many of the sacrifices in the Old Testament cut, bleeding out, skin, blood everywhere on the sacrifice, on the altar? How many of the sacrifices actually got up, walked away, and got on with their lives? (laughs) That was close, right? 
No sacrifice ever got back up. It was done. It was dead. It was completely done. There was nothing they could do. He says, I want you, this is crazy, but I want you to put yourself on the altar of God and say, God, I'm putting my life as a sacrifice, which means I got nothing of my own when I'm done with this thing. I can't just get up and walk away because this is God and saying, I'm putting my whole life into you. Every part of it, the parts I don't like, the parts I don't want, the parts I do like, all of it is going back to you. And he says, as you put yourself on this altar, knowing that you're not getting back up, he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Singing songs is great. It's not your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship is putting yourself fully before Jesus every single day and saying, Jesus, only you can go today. Only you are going to be good today. Only you have what I need for today. My husband's going to disappoint me. My wife's going to disappoint me. My kids are probably going to let me down at some point. My neighbors are going to be the neighbors that they always are. I'm going to probably have enough something at work. I'm probably going to get a disagreement with my boss. That's always going to happen. But today, the thing I know that's true is you, and you don't change. So I'm putting myself there. He says, if we're going to get transformed, it starts with who and not what. It's Jesus, and that's our transformation. There's a quote that I love um, that um, my wife and daughter are going through a book, and um, this was one of the quotes that came out of it. Jen uh, Wilkin is her name, and uh, she says this about this idea of who versus what. She says, we need to ask, who should I be? Of course, the question, what should I do and who should I be, are, are not unrelated. They're close. But the order in which we ask them matters. If we focus on our actions without addressing our hearts, we may end up merely as better behaved lovers of self. Amen. If we don't get Christ, right? If we focus on our actions if, if we focus on our actions without addressing our hearts, we may end up merely as better behaved lovers of self. And I don't want that for community. I don't want us just to be better behaved people who get it right. I don't want us to, at the end of the day, be like, man, I nailed it today. I want us at the end of the day to look at ourselves as we do on a daily basis, hopefully, and just say, God, without you, I am a wretch. I am nothing without you. Only Christ in me gets me through everyday Christianity. And so if it's not starting with changing the outside, but asking the question of who, how do I do that? Right? So let's get into a little more practical this morning. And Paul's going to show us how here in just a second. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So what do we do? How do we get this who? By the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Everyday Christianity starts with our minds. It starts with our thinking. One of the pastors of North Point, Andy Stanley, says this, if you think the way you used to think, you will do the things you used to do. He says, I want you to, he, he says the same thing. If you always just think about the things, if you, if you don't change the way you think, you're not going to change your actions. But if you think the way you used to think, you're always going to think, the, or you're always going to do the things you used to do. And he gets this not of his own wisdom. He gets this out of the Apostle Paul himself because Paul combines all of what I've just said into one passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, this is what Paul says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let me kind of walk through this with you. So he's beginning and saying we live in a culture and in a world that is not us. We live in a flesh-centered world. We touch, we see, we can experience these things. And he says you need to understand that you're in a war with culture. Whether you want to or not, you're, you're going to be in a war with culture because Jesus was in a war, is in a war with culture. It's just part of it. He says, if they hated you or if they hated me, they're definitely going to hate you. And so we walk in this fleshly kind of thing, and we think that we're waging war against the flesh. But Paul tells us, by the power of Jesus, God's illumination to them of Scripture, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So there's a war scenario painted here, right? And he says, in this war scenario, here's what I want you to do. I want you to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And he says, I want this to happen in your mind, not just in your actions. I want you to change the way you think. And he uses three different uh, military tactics. And he says, I want you to do these things in order to live everyday Christian lives. I want you to destroy the defensive strongholds. He says, I want you to destroy arguments and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I want you to destroy them. I want you to take them out. And so you think of a battle scene, you think of these bunkers that are kind of like laid in front of you, one after the other after the other, and you realize as you look at these bunkers visually, one after the other after the other after the other, you realize, oh my gosh, this is a really strong stronghold. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get past this, because you can see on the other end, like if we just defeat one, two, three, four, five, if we keep pushing these things out of the way, eventually we're going to make military uh, strategy, and we're going to actually do this right, we're going to get to the point where we're actually winning the battle, but we have to start each stronghold. For us, the strongholds come in our minds, right? These things that we always think, these things that we always accept. Well, I'll always be this way. Well, it's just that. Or, or well, and we, we throw a lot of these kind of thoughts into our head that are not Christ-like. And he says, the first thing I want you to do is to destroy those arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God himself. I want you to take out each bunker along the way. And as you take them out, make sure you're moving forward and not just regressing back. So let me give you an example practically for this as we're making sense of it. So let's say, for instance, you always struggle with a certain mindset, right? And I don't know what that is. But for the sake of the argument, I'll talk to most guys in the room, and I think most guys in the room would say, man, if this thing would, of lust would just get out of my brain, it would be fantastic, right? If I could just make some headway with it, it would be great. And so what often happens is in that battle, which is an everyday battle, it, it starts to become this thing where it just gets so big and so astronomical that we don't know what to do. And so we do the best that we can. We get an accountability partner. We start reading the Bible. We start doing the right things because that's what we're told to do. And we start taking out a defensive stronghold here and here. But here's what I know about you and I know about me in these battles. You're going to have victories and you're going to have defeats. That's just the way it is. And as you have these defeats, 
What, what I don't want us to think is, man, I'm making these headways. Let's say you've done really well and you're, you're, you're making progress in your thoughts and behaviors and all these things are starting to click and you're starting to become more Christ-like and you've taken out maybe five or six bunkers along the way, right? You've taken out that one, you're taking out that one, you're making headway, you're moving ahead, this is good. And then all of a sudden you slip up or there's something that goes wrong in your mindset and you start to make a dumb choice and, and all of a sudden we feel, maybe it's just me, but we feel as Christians as if we've lost all five, six, eight, nine, ten bunkers and we gotta go back to the very beginning of the, of the starting line and start all over with bunker after bunker after bunker after bunker after bunker. And we're like, this is impossible, if the church wants me to live this way, this is ridiculous. I can't. It's hard, and I can't really do this. And I've had this conversation before with somebody. I said, I, I want you to understand, it's not about, like, just running all the way back. No military campaign is going to win if all they do is just retreat all the way back to the starting line. Yeah, you had a you mess up. Yeah, you've screwed up. Take the grace of Jesus and say, well, at least I've taken out six, and I'm ready to take on the next 20. But I'm not going to run back here and be like, oh, man, i got to start all over again. This is horrible. Does that make sense? I want us to kind of think through these things of saying, God is giving you victories in our thought lives. I don't want us to just settle for the fact of the enemy telling us, you got to start all over again, man. He hates you. He can't stand you right now. you got to start at the very beginning and work your way back up into good graces, and maybe God will like you. No. That's action-oriented. If we really believe that Christ is in us, he is for us, and he is championing us in all of these things that we wrestle with, that we don't want to tell our neighbors or our family or things that we struggle with, he is with us in them. And he's saying, look, we've taken out six. And maybe it's just some pessimism, but sometimes we're just like, yeah, but we didn't take out eight. And God's like, are you kidding me? We just, look at what you've done. Look at how we've worked. Look at this. This is amazing. You're making progress. It's just, it's hard because sometimes we don't feel like it's progress. So the first thing we need to do is destroy some of those strongholds, those defensive bunkers and strongholds and arguments along the way. The second thing he says is this. He says, I want you to take captives, <laughs> right? I, I don't want you just to kind of destroy these strongholds, but I want you in a war scenario to take captives. I want you to really just take that thought, whatever that temptation is or whatever that bad, you know, not even Maybe it's not even temptation. Maybe it's just this thought that you just are on repeat of just how bad everything is and how critical you need to be towards everybody around you. Maybe it's cynicism. Maybe it's just like you're just a cynical person and you just don't want to believe the best in anybody. So you just believe the worst and that's just how it works for you. He says, I want you to take those thoughts and I want you to take them captive. I want you to wrestle them to the ground and I want you to press them into Jesus. I want you to press them through the word of God and see how it measures up to the word of God. It means I take that thought, it take that behavior, and I wrestle it to the ground and say, you will not have me. I will push this through the lens of the Bible and I will speak truth to whatever that is. He says, I want you to destroy the strongholds and I want you to take captives. I want you to think of your thought life this week and I want you to think of all these things and I want you to say, wow, okay, is that of Christ or is that me? And I want you to take a captive and say, I'm going to force it to push through the lens of the gospel and see how I come out on the other side. This week I was praying and I said, God, there's a lot of voices right now. <laughs> I said, I, I, and, and myself, I'm probably the loudest voice in my head right now, followed probably by my enemy's voice, probably you know, other people's voices, and then finally your voice. 
And I said, God, here's my prayer. And it's been my prayer all week. It's been my prayer uh, for a while. Is God, silence all the other voices and just let me hear you. And it's amazing how you think there's going to be like this revelation. Okay, right? I mean, it's just, that didn't happen, okay? It wasn't out in my backyard. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay. I'm like, oh, my goodness, not now. It was, okay, let's go to the Word. Let's, let's work this thought life. Let's work this behavior. Let's work these patterns through the gospel, and then we'll see where it's at. And I'm telling you, it was the most relieving thing in the world. I felt like weights were lifted off because I was able to take this thought captive and I was able to press it through Scripture and come out the other side and say, God alone is what I need this morning. Take captives. And lastly, and this is probably the weird one that we maybe have heard verse 5, but I don't know if we've maybe heard verse 6 in this chapter before. But he says, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I want you in the third step in this war to punish resistance, right? I want you to, when you conquered that city and that city is now the dominion of Christ, I want you to punish resistance. If there starts to be uprisings in that city, I want you to put them down. When there starts to become these things that come against what God wants us to do is I want you to put them down. I want you to push back disobedience, And he says, you'll continue to do this until your obedience is complete when we get to eternity. You're like, wow, that's a lot. (sighs) That's a lot of work. That's a lot of war. Defensive strongholds, taking captives, punish resistance in the city. How do we do all that? How do we actually, on a spiritual level, do that? And we're going to talk through that practically, biblically, especially next week. We're going to actually look at how do we actually funnel things through the lens of Scripture, we're going to be really practical next week in how we learn to use the Bible to attack our thought lives as we look into next week. But as we close, let me just do this in John 17, going back to when Jesus was praying for us to be in the world and not of it. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, purify them, not by actions, but through us, through your word. I want you to sanctify them through truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Here's the beauty. You serve a God who is changing you. And you probably have seen it. Maybe it's not been as fast as you have wanted, but he's changed you from the time you've accepted Jesus to now. And he's slowly working these things out in you. And he's making you more like himself. And he says, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different than the world. I want you to be transformed and not conformed. And we're going to do this, like I said, over the next few weeks. But as we close, let me just give you a couple questions this morning. And again, this isn't just a how-to sermon. This is hopefully just to kind of get the ball rolling in your head and just ask some, some different questions. So here's, here's my questions for you this morning. And Rich, if you want to come on up too, we'll, we'll end with a song together on this too. But... Um, let me just ask you a couple questions as we close out. Give you a chance to really kind of, okay, that was a lot of information. There was a lot of things coming at me. Let me just process a couple questions for you, uh, for you and God to kind of talk through. First question is this, what in my life needs transformed? Um, it could be a behavior, something you just always do. It could be a habit that you've just kind of gotten used to, and it's no big deal, and then it starts to become a big deal, and it didn't affect anybody, and now it's starting to affect people. It could be an emotion, right? 
I think so often we think it's all about behaviors and habits, but I think often in our culture it's far more an emotion that always comes up. We always give in to that emotion, whether it's jealousy, whether it's pride, whether it's fear, whether it's hatred. We always just give in to it. Like it comes up to the surface. We run to it like we love the thing. And we're like, yeah, just let me sit in fear. Yeah, let me just be judgmental of people. Yeah, let me just... When we say it out loud, it doesn't sound right, but maybe it's an emotion that's, that's part of this. It could be a behavior, a habit, an emotion. It could be a virtue, right, that needs transformed for the good. It could be a virtue, a fruit of the Spirit that you know is lacking. And you know, I want more peace. I want to be more gentle. I want to be more loving, whatever. But the first question is, what in my life needs transformed? The second one is this. Once you know what it is that needs transformed, the second thing is to ask it, the behavior, the emotion, and the virtue, and say, what is it? I know that sounds simple, but what is it? Specifically, what is it? Not just kind of a general, yeah, I have a hard time with sin. We all do. Welcome to the club. I'm talking about wrestling that thing to the ground and naming it and saying, I always struggle here, and I don't know how to get out of it. It's just ridiculous how often I give in to whatever, and you can put that in, but be specific. Is it specific? It can't be be a better parent this week, okay? That doesn't mean anything, all right? It, can, it can't be be nicer to someone, right? That's not really a goal, right? That doesn't have any teeth to it whatsoever. This is specific, and then lastly, here's the last question. What would it mean to be more transformed in your thinking? What would it mean to be more transformed in your thinking? What's the payoff? It may be to be more like Jesus. It may be not to be as negative. It may be I need to tackle this fear in my life. It may be that I want to be able to speak truth to my friends, but my fear keeps me from doing that. It may be I want to lead my spouse better, but my ambition and my drive doesn't allow me to do that. I don't know what it is, but what's the payoff? If this mindset changes, then what? If I could get free from it, then what? And those are the questions I'm going to leave you with this morning. Let me pray for you as we close. God, I have to say that this is exactly um, me. Um, You continue to work on my heart. You continue to work on my attitudes and on my emotions and behaviors. And I am so thankful for, for you who loves me in spite of me because you see you in me. And I thank you for that. God, for this morning, I just pray that if there's uh, something that you want to bring into our minds that need change, that we want to be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus, I pray this morning that you would reveal it. Not only I pray that you reveal it, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be able to receive it. <laughs> that we'd be able to acknowledge it in honesty and be like, yeah, that's, that's completely me. And God, I pray that in the midst of all of it, you'd give us hope that you want to change us. God, I pray that you'd just speak and you'd be louder than any other voice in the room this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen.